This is StoryBeat, storytellers on storytelling. An exploration into how master storytellers and artists develop and build brilliant stories and works of art that people everywhere love and admire. So join us as we discover how talented creators of all kinds find success in the worlds of imagination and entertainment. Here now is your host, Steve Cuton. Thanks for joining us on StoryBeat. We're coming to you from the Steel City, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you like this podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating or review on whatever app or platform you're listening to. Your support helps us bring more great StoryBeat episodes to you. Well, my guest today is the extraordinary actress, singer, and impressionist, Christina Bianco. Her singular voice and comedic charm have brought audiences around the world to their feet. She's captured international acclaim as a YouTube sensation with her diva impression videos, gaining over 25 million views. Dubbed the girl of a thousand voices, Christina has performed on major TV programs such as the Ellen DeGeneres Show and the Today Show in the U.S. and the Paul O'Grady Show and This Morning in the U.K. A two-time Drama Desk Award nominee, Christina made her West End debut starring in the Menier Chocolate Factory's hailed production of Forbidden Broadway. New York credits include The Marvelous Wonderettes, the one-woman multi-character comedy Application Pending, which garnered her a Drama Desk Award nomination. Musical the Musical, and Forbidden Broadway Goes to Rehab, for which she received another Drama Desk Award nomination. Most recently, Christina played the iconic role of Fanny Bryce at the Theater Marigny's celebrated production of Funny Girl in Paris, earning a unanimous rave review from all the critics. Television credits include ITV's The Imitation Game, the pop TV sitcom Impress Me, Hallmark's Sign Sealed Delivered, and frequent voice work for RuPaul's Drag Race. Christina has performed her critically acclaimed concerts to sold-out crowds in New York and across the U.S. In the U.K., she's enjoyed extended runs headlining at London's Hippodrome, Royal Albert Hall's Elgar Room, live at Zadell's, the Charing Cross Theatre, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and recently completed her second U.K. tour titled First Impressions. She recently made concert debuts in Switzerland, Spain, South Africa, and in Australia at the Sydney Opera House. Christina frequently performs with major U.S. and Canadian symphonies and performs her solo symphony show under the direction of renowned maestro Jack Everly. Her debut live album, The Life of the Party, is available on Apple Music and other major music platforms. The New York Times said of Christina, must we trot out the phrase tour de force? Yes, we must. Bianco's work is something to see. For more on Christina, please check out ChristinaBianco.com. So for all those reasons, and because I'm a huge fan myself, it's a tremendous honor for me to welcome the awesomely talented Christina Bianco to Storybeat today. Christina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Wow. She sounds crazy. She, she sounds like she knows what she's doing about something. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> so it's weird to act- hear it all said like that. <laughs> I, I know. It's sort of like your whole life flashes before your eyes. Yeah. And I did that? Oh, I guess it did. Yeah. 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 That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's wonderful. Thank you. Yes, you did. And, and I just love watching you, uh, what I've seen on YouTube. I've not seen you live. And one of these days, I would love to do that but the stuff I've seen on YouTube which is uh, there's lots of it is really fantastic thank you so let's go back a little bit you've been doing this a little while when did you first get started to you know on the 
treading the boards, as they say. Were you a kid? Sure. Yeah. I started performing as early as I could. I was, I was that precocious kid that absolutely knew I wanted to sing and be on stage. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my parents saw that and they, they fostered my, uh, you know, young budding talents at a very young age. My very first play, it was just a children's show, like four kids by kids. Uh, it was the the, the, the summer, the traveling theater, yeah, and uh, in Rockland County, and it was a performance, a production of The Wizard of Oz. Mm. And I was too young. I mean, you had to be seven to audition, so I would wait patiently till I was seven. And most of the leading roles went to teenagers, 12, 13, 14 years old. Um, so you but knew I, as a little girl you were going to yeah, yeah. And then I'm, I'm, the only reason I'm saying this is because it, it totally, I got hooked right away because I auditioned wanting to be Dorothy. Of course, I was too young, but I sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow at the audition, and I happened to have both my two front teeth missing, so it came out Somewhere Over the Rainbow. <laughs> and I think in part because of that ridiculousness, or I should say ridiculousness, um, the director of the show decided to put in a solo at the end, you know, that a little munchkin would come out and sing a reprise of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And he gave me that, that oh, task. Wow. So w- that's it. I mean, when you're on your very first show at age seven and you get to sing your favorite song as a solo, that was it. I had no choice but to continue. <laughs> I was hooked. Were you, <laughs> so they created a little, a little snob right away. Were you pretty much on pitch at that age? Oh, yes, yes. And there's some audio I, I, I can send with you, I send to you and share with you. Uh, my parents, you know, had, I remember my dad holding up a massive camcorder. And uh, so there's, there is audio and video of my performance of that song. Um, yeah, it was great. It started me off. I, I loved doing musicals. But, um, you know, my parents knew what was involved if I wanted to do theater. When, when I was little, of course, you know, and nowadays they have so many outlets for kids who want to sing. They have all these easily accessible even just karaoke tracks you can download on your phone instantly mm-hmm. from iTunes and the like. We didn't have that back then. If you wanted a CD of something, if you wanted a tape, a cassette tape with karaoke tracks, you had to order it special, yeah, you know. Sure. So the only outlet to really sing was live theater. So I spent a lot of time um, doing shows, community theater shows, regional theater shows, and then working. Um, my first paying job as a performer was at the Westchester Broadway Dinner Theater. Um, and uh, it was great. Fam- I never, I think, famous I, yeah, I think I was t- 10 or 11 years old. So from my first paying job at age 11, I've never really stopped. Um, so and I was just a, singing in my own your, You've been a pro your whole life, basically. Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, I mean, definitely I, my entire life, I remember going to school and then getting you know, driven immediately to a dance class or a voice class or an acting class or a rehearsal for something. So I was always performing. And then I, um, I knew so much that I wanted to perform and only perform. And I should also say, um, as I got older, my love of just singing in general. Um, I mean, it's hard to choose a favorite thing to do. I love playing a role and playing a character and being on stage, but if I had to choose one thing, I would say a singer first and foremost is what I always Mm -hmm. wanted to do and wanted to be. And so I, then started, you know, exploring other ways to perform as a vocalist, singing with jazz trios and, you know, in college and, you know, bar bands and doing voiceovers, not impression work at that point, but doing lots of voiceovers and character voices and little, you know, um, non-union commercials and animation things. And, uh, and then, so I went to NYU Tisch School of the Arts so I could continue, of course, working and getting a performing arts degree. And I double majored in journalism with no intention of really using it 
in a job for journalism, but I knew it would help me with writing and sound bites and all that stuff. So, okay, I've babbled enough already. My goodness, is what you're getting yourself into? <laughs> no, I, an Italian it. New Yorker, you have no, I, you have no hope here. I'm just going to keep going. I love both Italians and New Yorkers, so you're in good shape. <laughs> um, um, so, I, do you think of this as a calling? Do you think it's something that you've just, it's just you were, this is what you're meant to do? I think it's clear that it is. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, I was talking to somebody about this recently. Um, people always know that when you practice something, you improve, sure. you know, and, and I can practice as much as I can, let's say, to figure skate or play baseball, but I don't have a natural ability to do that. So no. I'm never going to be a great. I'm never going to be able to do either of those things professionally height aside, all the other reasons I couldn't do those things. Um, and so I was definitely really lucky that I have had have a natural ability. I was singing, my mom says I was singing before I could even, you know, form full sentences. I was, mm -hmm. I was hitting pitch and I was trying to sing phonetically along to the music in the car that was playing on the television. Um, so I always had an ear for it. And I think that um, the fact that my parents did educate me and throw me into training at a young age just made it easier. But yeah, I, I, there was sort of like I could sing. I wanted to perform. I was comfortable. I never got nervous. And that's something that it's, it's hard to teach. Well, the so hallmark of what I see in your performances is that you are the definition of fearless. Oh, uh, if only you knew how not true well, that was, but that's you, great. <laughs> you remember, remember the old commercial, don't ever let them see you sweat? That's what yeah. you are. I, I mean, because I've seen you where things have happened, like the mic went out in, in, in New York. And, oh, yeah. Uh, you tripped on one point at a, in a performance and you just you don't just miss kept a going. Beat. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that does take that, that does take experience because, sure. you know, those first things that can throw you when you first get started, but you know, on with the show and make a bit out of it. I think having a, a you know, being a fairly self-deprecating person also helps because if you don't take yourself too seriously, um, you oh. can roll with the punches. And I find that very important for all people who are in any, any form of performance careers listening to this. You want to get up in front of an audience, you better not take yourself too seriously. Though there are some that do but yeah there's different i think there's a difference in having pride and, and respect in what you do and being prepared and then absolutely. taking yourself too seriously absolutely so all right i need to know do you, the the word is important you call yourself an impressionist not an imitator correct yeah i don't use imitator only because i don't usually hear that word too much right. the one that no. i really avoid is impersonator and that's typically because impersonator the the correlation is somebody who gets dressed up in an outfit and right. looks like them, a share impersonator. Right. So an impressionist is someone, it just, it's just the word that I, I always heard the most. And so I, um, also when someone says, Christina, she's a female impersonator. It sounds like I'm a man getting dressed up as a woman, <laughs> a female impersonator, <laughs> you know, so which is, which is totally cool, but not what I do. Um, so yeah, so impressionist seems to be the term that it explains it the most. Uh, I can change my voice to sound like other people. You certainly can, like nobody's business. There aren't too many women that do what you do. I, oh, I, don't, know, I don't know of any, really, other than well, you. There, there are, well, I certainly can name a bunch. And one of the greatest impressionists, particularly in the New York uh, theater and cabaret scene, is this wonderful, wonderful human being who I'm lucky to call a friend now, Christine Petty. Mm. And Christine Petty, I uh, first heard, in fact, this this goes along with one of the one of the first groups of people I ever heard do any impressions at all was in the long running show in New York called Forbidden Broadway. Yes. And for listeners that may not know that spoofs and parodies all of the Broadway shows and their stars. It's sort of like Saturday Night Live, but 
for Broadway. Right. And it changes every season with the changing Broadway shows. So um, when I was born, that show was already up and running. And so I genuinely grew up listening to the cast albums and every season there was a new cast album. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we'd go see the shows. And Christine Petty was in them for quite some time impersonating the likes of Liza Minnelli and, and Patti LuPone and, and gosh, she Julie was Andrews. Dressing. She was dressing up. Yeah. Her. And in Forbidden Broadway, it's a little bit different because in Forbidden Broadway, they play so many people at once. It's, it's, it's an acting job as well. These people are fantastic actors and singers and musical mm-hmm. theater performers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was where I saw females um, sing and do impressions. But I will, and Christine Petty was the big one that influenced me, who then I got to work with in, in musical um, later on in my career. But the, the thing is, for me, the, most of the people I saw doing impressions were stand-up comics, and they were just doing mostly speaking impressions. Sure, not singing. And then my, my father reminded me um, a couple of years ago that it was him. He takes the credit, of course. Um, he was playing this fantastic Sammy Davis Jr. album, and, and Sammy famously did great impressions of his contemporaries. Sure. And um, it was one of his live concerts, and I was little, and I didn't quite understand. I was like, wait, did you just change CDs, or does he have guests? And my father was like, no, that's, that's Sammy. He's changing his voice to sound like all those other people. Wow. And he was the first person I ever heard do multiple voices on one song. This is something that then Christine Petty, as a cabaret performer in New York, a concert performer, was doing, and uh, I had seen her do that. So I'm, I mean, I'm did not I'm not the first person to do that. I'm just the the person who sort of um, was the first to become popular doing it on YouTube. So, so is your father that that had you doing impressions, or did no? You- he just knew my my father always and mother. Um, my father worked in radio, so he had access and knowledge to a lot of music and many many different genres, mm. which is one of the reasons I'm so comfortable singing different genres of music. Is I genuinely grew up singing country and jazz and rock and Broadway. I just was always playing in the house. Um, so as a singer in my own right, I like singing those genres, but it helps with impressions as well. When you know how to do the Reba McIntyre twang, you know, it makes it easier to apply. Well, yeah, because you've got to do every, the thing that's really great about what you do is you don't Mm -hmm. just get the sense of who the people are. You get their vocal intonation and quality just down pat. So, thank you you know, you can turn away from the screen and you're still hearing that character. Ah, thanks. Well, you know, because again, I'm, because I'm, I'm four foot 11, you know, so when I impersonate someone like Celine Dion, it's about the voice. But if people are not just listening to me, if they're watching me, then I have to take it a step further. And I find the impressionists that are most successful are the ones where even if they look, you know, at at their core, nothing like the person that they're Mm -hmm. impersonating, Mm -hmm. um, that you can take on mannerisms and physicality um, to try your best to embody that person. And that's, I think, also having acting training. And so theatrical training who, who, was your, that. who was your first impression? Uh, my first impression, my parents tell me that they, they remember was Judy Garland because they listened to me singing to the Wizard of Oz, like I mentioned, my favorite. Right. Um, and they would always hear me sing it. And then occasionally they said they would hear me sing along and start to take on her tone and style. Like I said, and I don't know what I sounded like at age, you know, three, but I would start singing it in my own voice and then they'd hear me change the color of my voice and make it sound a little darker. Um, so they think that was my first impression. The first impression that I remember doing that got a response from somebody else, meaning right. I never did impressions like, hey, look at me. I'm going to do this impression for you now. Right. I just sort of had a natural ability to change my voice. And it was Celine Dion. Um, Celine Dion, and you may be asking me this question later, but is my favorite impression to do because she is so colorful. She has so many isms, right? She has a a funny way of speaking. It is particular. 
her her pronunciation, her emphasis, you know, it is precise. And uh, she makes, you know, crazy facial expressions. And her, of course, her actual vocal ability is astounding. Astounding. Um, and she has a lot of uh, phrases and riffs and runs and little ism, isms that she does in a few of her songs. So she gives me the complete package. But the real reason I think I love impersonating her so much is because I genuinely grew up listening to her. Mm-hmm. And I know her so well. I listened to her albums in French, not knowing what she was saying before her big you know, US albums came out. And I genuinely think I'm a nerd enough to know her voice and what she does enough as a, as a songstress, like you know, the way she interprets a song, that I think now that I could approximate how she would sing Total Eclipse of the Heart or how she would sing, you know, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Um, and that's what makes her so much fun for me. It's my, my knowledge of her plus her great voice and isms. Um, it, it comes together. But I was, um, I stumbled upon the impression pretty much accidentally. I was singing along to, I believe the Celine Dion song, That's the Way It Is, or mm-hmm. she says it, that's the way it is. That's the way it is. And um, in that song, she says... <laughs> Just remember, you can't win in this thing called love. Lerf. Lerf. And I remember thinking that was hilarious that she said Lerf. And then I went back and I listened to her sing The Power of Love Because You Love Me. And there's a little R every time she says the word love. And so I was doing this around the house. And then I was at this party and I was singing along and just quietly. And the person next to me heard me do it. And they're like, wait a minute, wait, 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 do that again. Can you do that again? What was that? Oh my gosh, she's like Celine Dion. Come here, come here, Christine, that sounds like Celine Dion. And that was the first time I realized like, oh, I do actually sound like her. This is what an impression is. This is like those people I've heard, you know, do it in Forbidden and, Broadway. And, or and it sparked something in me because I didn't, I didn't know it was something, one, that I could actually pull off, but two, that like other people couldn't do easily. So, so you, you just, it was just natural. This was not something that you had to strain to figure out. You just did No, no. I mean, a lot of impressions I've worked my butt off and still don't think I do a great job. Like you, you have to practice and try and stretch yourself. Sure. But when I was, yeah, when I was younger, I always say I had a natural ear for mimicry because teachers in, in acting class, whenever, if they'd say, okay, now who wants to, you know, read, there's an old lady in the scene and I would put on a character voice mm-hmm. who was a little kid in the scene. I could do a little kid. I could do that. And I would, you know, volunteer and do that. So I have this vocal flexibility. And then, um, yeah, my, my parents did, you know, see that and they're not, um, you know, performers themselves, but they've always loved music and the arts. And so you, they kind of knew that I needed to be trained. And so I think, I think because of that education, I was able to um, just, just the awareness that I, that I could do something with it was there. Whereas well, you, if I was just, you know, and forget it. You can't, you, go to, you can't go to school anywhere that I know of to learn to be an impressionist. There's no class in it, is there? No. And now there are some programs because people have asked me to do little master classes recently about uh, impressions because they become so popular mm-hmm. on the internet. And again, we did when I was little, there was no YouTube. So there was no way I could <laughs> Google Christine Petty doing her fabulous one woman sings as 50 voices rendition of I Will Survive, you know, which once YouTube happened, I watched the heck out of that video. And apparently people around the world were watching the heck out of mine. So it was very, very funny. But because there was no outlet for it. No, I didn't know. I certainly didn't think even when I was getting asked to do character voices or people were, I finally realized I could do a few impressions. Um, in college, Kristen Chenoweth was very popular. 
And I would say, oh my gosh, I love her voice so much. I just went right into it. And somebody was like, oh my God, that's hilarious. You sound like you're on helium. <laughs> you sound like a Chris and Jenna. And that was one that I kind of just did um, as a silly little voice. And I, I remember thinking, hmm, okay, well, I can do that. I can do that. But again, I never thought I can make a career out of it. I never thought there'd be any work for me apart from maybe one day auditioning for Forbidden Broadway, which I did. And then I got the job and it changed my life. But it, that was it. Like I said, because most people that did impressions were in dressed up in Vegas as Cher right. or doing it in stand-up comedy. And I wasn't going to do either of those. To things. you, it was a bit of a goof as a kid. Exactly. And then it, it became something when you realized you could do more than one or two. I yeah. mean, I, I started to count. I lost track at 47. Yeah. <laughs> different. I'm I do. Sure there's more. Well, I mean, it's funny because people in, in publications call you like the girl of a thousand voices. They think you dub yourself these things. I, I do not do that. Um, <laughs> but you go with it when somebody does. And once Ellen, Ellen and Queen Latifah, you know, say things like that, you go with it. Cool, um, I do not do a thousand to my own knowledge. Um, I definitely do over 200 wow. if you count, because I have to count any change in the voice. So I do all these little cartoon characters and the Disney sidekicks and I can do that. So if I can give it a character name, I count it or, well, you know, you, a celebrity you, name. You, I, I know, you know, I've, I've got 90 credits in, in, uh, in teleplays all in animation. Mm -hmm. You would wipe the floor as a And yet I never broke into it. I wasn't part of the clique. And I think mm. because I don't just do that because also, I'm always busy traveling. You're yeah, also but, not in Los Angeles. That's it. I got to tell you something. I'm not being in Los Angeles. I had these great meetings with Disney. It's the heartbreak of my life. These great meetings with Disney. They reached out to me and they're like, great. Well, when you're here, let us know. Exactly. Like, in this day and age where I can talk to you now. Exactly. From like, come on. But they really want you there, which is great. Like they want you in the space. They want you to take direction. And, yeah. and I'm not about to move to California anytime soon. So my, temporarily, my Disney dreams are, are not happening. But, but it, it's, yeah, it's funny. I, it's, it's a blessing and a curse in my life that I have done. This is another topic for another conversation. Mm -hmm. But I, um, it's a blessing and a curse that I've been able to do so many things under the umbrella of like the performing arts. I get to sing with symphonies, uh, mostly in my own voice, but also with impressions. I get to do, you know, voiceovers. I get to perform my own concerts. I get cast in shows like Funny Girl. I, as, as I'm hired as a straight actor, I make the YouTube video. I mean, I have, it, there are so many different aspects of what I do in a year to pay the bills as Christina Bianco. And I love all of it, but people really do still expect you in this day and age to sort of focus on one thing. Like, is she right. YouTube Christina Bianco? Well, I'm not a YouTuber. I'm not an influencer. And I've never really, I've only a few times have I made content specifically for YouTube. In fact, all my videos that have gone viral have been live performances, not videos I filmed. For what what I think you need, and I think it will come your way, is my feeling about it is, is you need your own show. Well, let's just make that happen. And people have talked about it, but no one's actually come through yet. Uh, well, I mean, really, that's when it will happen is when somebody figures out how to, well, I'll sit around, yeah. I'll think about it, but. but <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's fun. It's, it's one of the, sorry to interrupt you, go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say that, uh, you know, I just think that once you have that, then everything else will open the other way. Because yes, you're correct. The worst part about the industry is, is people pigeonhole people. Yeah. And it becomes even more difficult, I will say. And it's, it's, I'm so tired of saying it, but I have to because people don't believe me. It gets even more difficult when you're as short as I am. 
particularly in some, as somebody who wanted to work mostly and started Why? out particularly trying to work in musical theater. Why? Because uh, in TV and film, height doesn't matter as much because of camera angles. You could stand in a box. Tom Cruise famously stands in a box with his female co-stars all the time. <laughs> um, but on stage, and again, you, you would not really believe it unless I told you all the examples. Many roles for Broadway shows have height requirements, period. Wow. So there you I did go. not know that. I am too short to audition for roles I think I would be great for, you know. And so when they have too many people for a job or multiple people that could apply for the job or audition for the job, or, you know, if you have the agent strong enough to get you seen, then they say, okay, but are they X, Y, and Z? And one mm -hmm. of those things is height. Um, I am considered exceptionally short. I'm not petite. I'm under five foot. So mm -hmm. I am like too quote unquote short. And so typically that makes me a character actress I have to be and typically character actresses are dance tracks like so those little things happen in that way um but so it's been something that I've struggled with quite a bit I've been told I was talking to my friend girlfriend Tammy about this you we were told the same thing I've been told can you stand over here on the stage no could you stand over there no go go over there you just ruined the picture oh god but that's the thing but if, if everybody's uniform and if, let's say as I get older I'd like to play a mom are you going to cast me as the mom if I'm shorter than the person playing my child no, but chances are I am well, shorter than the person playing my child, so how, I won't get the part. How has Kristen yeah. Chenoweth done it? Well, that's it. See, Kristen Chenoweth is one of the people that I, I so admire because she was she. There were parts that absolutely suited her and her size. The two parts that her Broadway debut in um, Steel Pier. One, nobody could sing it like her. She, and she had to fight for that audition. She crashed the audition, if I'm not mistaken. She didn't even go through an agent. She crashed mm. the audition and was just better than everybody else. God bless her. She deserved it. Um, but that is Little Miss something. I mean, she's supposed to be a petite uh, role. And then her big uh, Tony Award uh, was for your good man, Charlie Brown, right. playing the littlest, the, not just the child, the smallest and youngest child. Right. So again, it suited her perfectly. But and I, I might get in trouble for saying this, but not, I'm not going to get in trouble. I'm telling you the truth. There is a height requirement for Glinda in Wicked. And mm. it's taller than Kristen Chenoweth's height currently. Wow. wow. So I can't even audition. There That's interesting. Well, yeah. here's, here's the thing. You definitely have the vocal chops for it. That's for sure. Well, so many people have the vocal chops for so many roles. And there are so many reasons why people do or do not get them. I have always said, I would just like to get seen. I would just like to have the opportunity to be seen. Of and the course. only time I get really upset is when I don't have that opportunity. And, and uh, it's no secret. One of the reasons I spend so much time working abroad and traveling abroad is because I don't get a lot of the opportunities I wish I got in New York. And a lot of that is in great part due to my height. I can't put everything on that. My goodness, I'm not saying it's the only reason. There are multitudes of reasons why people of do or don't get seen. But it certainly hasn't helped. And so um, I think... I've used that, um, I don't want to say negative thing, but like, you know, it's, it's been a hindrance to me. It really has, but I've taken that and I've, I've made it my own, you know, sure. the first person to make a height joke about myself will definitely be me. Mm -hmm. And I found ways to work that don't involve my oh, height. So I'm going to tell you the interesting thing until you brought all this up today, because I've only seen you on on YouTube, that's the only mm -hmm. place where I've actually, and I've seen you on the Today Show and that kind of thing. Yeah, I had no idea you you're you're at this height that you're talking about. Yeah, not a, very not few people clue. standing next to me in the videos you've seen, and I have been wearing platforms. But yes, 
<laughs> Even next to Ellen, I was like, how are the tallest shoes I could wear and be comfortable? Yeah, but well, that's we're good just to know. Gonna, we're just going to have to get you a longer pair of legs, that's all. I know. I've tried, you know, a stretcher, but it's not worked out so far. <laughs> all right, let's talk about your process just a little bit as to how you do things. You are, one of the, just the most incredible things to watch is the rapid fire changes you make in voices on stage. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's, it's instantaneous. Um, is that... When it's called out to you, and I know you have um, times when you perform and someone's calling out a change, yeah. are they calling it out and trying to trip you up or is it already planned? Uh, it varies. Um, one of the most popular YouTube videos, the one that went the most viral was that Total Eclipse of the Heart video. Yes. And, I, and I always am very honest about the fact that that was half planned, half planned meaning. I gave um, the, the host of the evening, Susie Mosher, I gave her a list of names for each section of the song. And within right. that section, she could call out different names. Meaning I had to give some structure as it was a performance. It was yeah. in front of an audience. It yeah. couldn't be full test. I couldn't have her call out Julie Andrews at the lowest part of the song right. and share at the highest part of the song exactly. because their voices don't go there. So within vocal framework, I gave you know, then a list of suggestions. Um, and I find that those moments are more fun for the audience. Like on Ellen, when Ellen was shouting out those names, the show did choose the impressions they thought were best. Yeah. And within that, I said, okay, now if you want great television, you have to at least give me an ending. You, know, you can't make me end it on somebody whose voice doesn't fit the end of the song. So can you let me set the last two? And they said, yes. You know, because the thing is, if it's all to chance, it might be fun for the audience to watch me ah, on the spot switch and get nervous, but it also <laughs> might not necessarily lead to great content. So I, I try to um, put both of those things, uh, both methods into my live shows and my videos, meaning there is, a, there is an art, it sounds so obnoxious to say, but there is an art to finding a song. Well. Wow. That well, sounds that good with impressions. And then what line to put what vocalist on. And that's a big process and it takes a lot of work. And the fact oh. that some people just think I can just, they can throw out a name that's going to sound as interesting is infuriating to me. But if they understood it, then everybody would do it, I guess. So that was, that was the question which you've now answered, which I think is fascinating. Yes, you have to actually seek a song that works for all those things. Oh yeah. People always, I remember, and this is, this is a, not a negative story because I had a fantastic, fantastic time. I was treated like gold on, on the Queen Latifah show. But I didn't know what I was singing on that show until the morning of the performance. Okay. And I almost said, washed my hands of it and said, I'll pay for my own flight home. I'm not going to go on TV and embarrass myself. And it was because of music rights. They weren't trying to be difficult. It's because the, the network wasn't sure which songs they could clear. Right. And very often those things happen in a last minute basis. So here I was with this great opportunity to sing, you know, on national television. Um, and I didn't know what I was singing. <laughs> and they were like, here are your options. And I knew my options. And I spent all night going over like four songs and trying to put the right person on the right part of the song. Right. So you only get one shot at it. And, at the, and then that next morning, like the morning of the taping, I'm like, well, can't, we, we have this big catalog of these songs. Why don't you just choose one of these? And it was, I was like, there wasn't one song that worked. And somebody from the show asked me, why doesn't it work? And I said, for the general public, to one, think what I'm doing is interesting. They have to know the song very well. Sure. It can't be a mildly popular song. It has to be a very popular song. It also has to be a song where a certain significant phrases are repeated multiple times. So then you can better hear the switch between how I change it for each voice each mm -hmm. time I do it. Mm -hmm. um, it also has to be a song that has um, 
I say it has to have a build. It has to have a bridge. It has to have an A, B, and C, where a lot of songs don't. A lot of songs just have a, a chorus, a verse and a chorus, and a verse and a chorus, and it's done. And they're not as interesting as a song without a, with a bridge. Because with impressions, you're essentially telling a story. And, and a little more it, than you would be otherwise. It's even better when it when it it rises in some way. And yeah, because it, and, all, place. and the other part of it is the song can't have one note. <laughs> it has to have <laughs> it has to have a wide range because the wider the vocal range in the song, the more impressions I can apply. And then the last bit of that is, and this just happened a couple of days ago. Someone's like, "Oh, can you sing this song?" And I went, "Oh no, there were too many long held notes. The song was a lot of ah, la la la." I said, "No, no." To get the impressions out clearly, you need to hear words because some of the people, if it's, uh, let's say, Liza Minnelli. So Liza Minnelli, we know that her ishes are ridiculous, right? And her cheese and her D's. So I'm not going to give Liza Minnelli something without an S. I'm not going to give her a line without an S. Mm -hmm. And if you've got somebody who has a really fast vibrato, like Edith Piaf, right? Yeah. Why would I give her a song where you, that's all, all patter? and no long-held notes when you can't hear the vibrato that identifies her. So it's, even within one song, I'll give the chatty section to somebody who has lots of um, ticks of R's and S's and T's and D's, and I'll give the long-held phrase of the song to a Celine Dion who is known for her big power, you know, ballads where she's holding long notes all the time. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's a bit of a puzzle. I take the impressions that are topical, the impressions I'm wanting to work on or improve, and then I look at the lyrics, and then I look at the the range of the song and I put those puzzle pieces together. And so I what's right interesting to me is that, is that you actually program the song. You a hundred percent. Yeah. And, that's and, why it's a little nerve wracking when it just is up to chance. <laughs> it's fun for about five seconds for me. And then I'm like, okay, nope. The math. <laughs> I do it though. Yeah. I do it to challenge myself. And because I know the audience likes it. So it's important that, 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 that each voice fits a certain thing. Yeah, it is. And I think that, you know, it, it it's no, Again, Julie Andrews, I always give this example. We always think of Julie Andrews, no matter what she has sung in her life, I always say she could be singing Guns N' Roses. It will sound like a lullaby. Because it's those round tones. Ooh, is what we think of. You know, it's that sort of warmth. So I always find the greatest contrast is to have her sing something she totally shouldn't, right? I mean, yes. it's a suggestion. I, in, my, all my, in all of my live concerts, I'm now doing something that, it's, it's an extension of what we're talking about right now. I try to have me and my musicians, and which is a huge challenge for them, take a suggestion on the spot. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we give it some confines, like, okay, here are these four TV theme songs. This is what I did in my last UK tour. Here are four popular TV theme songs. Here are six impressions or eight or 10 impressions, and we change them all the time. And we'd have them pick out of a hat. What's the song? What's the impression? And we put it together on the spot. Um, and sometimes there are no parameters to this and we just go with the flow. And sometimes the outcome is fantastic. I was doing a gig in Bill Hackpool and my accompanist and I were like, let's just have fun because this audience is always rowdy. Let's just go nuts. He wanted to challenge himself and I wanted to challenge myself. And it was the very first time someone suggested Don't Stop Believing. I thought, oh, it's a great song. Great suggestion. Has a wide range. Everybody knows it. Great suggestion. And they said, Adina Menzel. You mean Adele Dazeem? Adele Dazeem. So how do you have Adele Dazeem sing Don't Stop Believing? And 
I, w- I went over the piano. I said, okay, well, okay, and everyone knows Dina Menzel from Wicked and Let It Go. So let's make it sound a little bit like that. Let's make it sound overly dramatic. And we have to give it a big, loud, belty ending like her songs and, and incredibly high notes. And so we put it together on the spot. And it, there's some video of this on YouTube. I didn't post it. Somebody in the audience did. In fact, don't look for it because I don't like it. But I did see it myself. And I went, that was a great suggestion. I had written it down. And I went, oh, gosh, the video's up. How horrifying and also wonderful because now I get to see what we did and what right. was good and what wasn't. Right. And that sparked the idea for me to do this with a little bit of structure, like to make sure the band maybe knows the songs I'm suggesting would be great. You know, so be like, <laughs> oh, do you guys have a general awareness of, uh, uh, I think we're alone now. And if they said yes, I'd say, okay, well then let's do that. So, so how would you do, how would Edith Piaf sing, I think we're alone now? Well, let's go for a, a stereotype. She's got like, but I'm, those marches. So let's turn it into a march. And then, so that spawned this thing in my shows where I don't know what I'm doing until the audience tells me. We give it a, f- a few parameters just so um, we don't waste your time. You know, mm-hmm. you're paying for a ticket. You're choosing mm-hmm. to sit down. You don't want to see something, something totally unpolished um, or something that can totally fall apart. But I think seeing something that's less polished and seeing something that's a little off the cuff is really exciting for the audience because the, then they also can appreciate the rest of the show and they can better understand the work that goes into choosing those songs and those voices and the arrangements. Because what, what I got popular doing on YouTube is, you know, 20, 19 to 20 people singing Total Eclipse of the Heart with the original arrangement of Total Eclipse of the Heart. Right. But now what I'd love to do and what's on my album we got to explore quite a bit with that particular song was every time I change a voice, the style of accompaniment, the style of music changes to match that artist. Mm. So it's incredibly difficult for musicians, for for my music directors and my arrangers, and then for the musicians to play. I mean, one song like that takes three times as long to rehearse as if we were just playing the regular chart, but it makes it more exciting and dynamic for me and my audience. So my, my question that just blows my mind is how do you keep them straight in your head? I mean, how do you how have you ever ever screwed them up yes absolutely the only thing is practice i sometimes i go for an impression and if it's i i accidentally do one that's similar um if if, if the changes are very quick but usually i'm good with it because i practice and i do have to practice those changes um like any muscle it becomes easier the more you do it sure of course um but it is pretty funny because there, there have been times where I've listened to it. In fact, I did this um, on my live album. I'm not going to tell you where, <laughs> where someone's calling out names and I know the name that's coming. Yeah. So as I'm holding the note of the artist before, as I'm holding the note, I shift into the voice of the next person oh. before they've said it. Wow. Yeah. So that's funny. I'm, I'm ahead of myself because I'm so nervous about like, so I'm anticipating the switch so much. I do it early. <laughs> so, so your proof, and, and I've had other guests and we've had this conversation, which is really great. Um, your proof that it isn't just pure talent. There's a lot of work that goes into it. Mm-hmm. And it's like a stare. I use a stare as the example. Everybody thinks a stare just did it. And it was, it was effortless. It looked effortless, oh, but yeah. it was thousand hours of, of dancing yeah. on that number to make and it look artists, effortless. Artists in particular, dancers, musicians, singers, they don't get the credit they deserve for that time. And I think the most, um, I think singers are treated the most poorly in this regard. And it doesn't help that there are TV shows out there where it's like, we found you singing in a trailer park and now you're going to be on this, you're going to be a star. You know? right. And there are people that have natural ability like that and can mm-hmm. do great things with it. But there are so many of us that work so 
hard for so long to sing various styles of music and not just for one song, but to have a whole show with stamina and sing a concert with Absolutely. variety. And it takes a lot of craft and people, it, it always makes me a little bit angry. And people are like, I never had one voice lesson. It's like, well, good for you. Good for you. That's fine that you never had a voice lesson, but those voice lessons could take your natural ability and probably make it even better if you would work a little bit. So mm-hmm. I just, it makes me a little upset. I had a natural ability, but I would never trade my lessons. I would never say I didn't need my lessons to help me become a better performer. The audience never cares about what it took to get there. They just want whatever the result is, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so the fact that you have to uh, bust your butt to, to make it as effortless as you make it seem, because yeah. it looks, when you do it, it looks effortless. You do thank not you. look like you're trying hard. Yeah, thank you. Well, it, it, and again, gosh, it sounds like I'm just complaining. I'm not, but since we're, since we're talking and being honest, that's, I find two things incredibly frustrating. It's that, you know, I've always been a, I'm so grateful, I should say, to start off with that I get to sing in my own voice as much, if not more, than I do impressions in my life and my career. Well, you're I, a great singer, so you should. Thank you. And it's lovely. No one has been like, shut up and do the impressions. In fact, sometimes people say you should do more of your own voice to balance out the impressions. And so that's lovely. And I, I will never lose that. I think starting off as a performer that didn't do impressions, of course, that wasn't known for impressions, of course, helps that. Um, but... It is funny when, when I'm asked to sing at you know, one-off events, like come sing one number. They don't want me to sing as me. They want me to do impressions. So mm-hmm. I make a point to at least bookend the song with my own voice, mm-hmm. not just for ego, but so the audience knows what I sound like before I do impressions. And that way they can better appreciate how I'm changing my voice. Right. So I have to work on that, but they will never suggest that. They just want, I always say, dance, monkey, dance, do the tricks, you know? Well, so you have to, you still for. have to take that pride and that ownership in yourself a little bit and invest yep. in yourself and be like, you know what? I know what's going to land. And mm-hmm. if I just start into an impression, they don't even know what I sound like. Um, so that sometimes can be frustrating, but I work around it. What I find very frustrating, which goes with what we were just talking about, is when people just say, well, I'll just do an impression right now on this song. And you're like, I it doesn't work that way. I can't just do it. I mean, I could, but I wouldn't be proud of the work that I was currently doing. I wouldn't want that to represent me. People on radio do this all the time. (laughs) I'll just sing that now as Britney Spears. You know, it drives you nuts (laughs) because they would never say to an opera singer, hit that high E right now on the spot. It's, it's It's a little bit of a lack of respect for it a little bit, but that's, that's only something that I, have felt in the past few years. I think people just expect me to Well, be- you, because you've, you've created your own monster. So I've, yeah, I've done it to myself. You've done it to, to yourself <laughs> is correct because people, you do so many of them so fast, they just expect you're just knocking them out without thinking about it. And Darn it, I never thought of that. Well, that's exactly, exactly what's going on is people <laughs> just have a high expectation of what you can do. No, I feel uh, like I'm letting everybody down. So how do you break a new voice? Who Are you working on any now? I'm not asking you to do it. I'm asking um, whether you are working well, on it. Well, there are people that I impersonate a little bit, but I'm not happy with right. my impression yet. Or like I use Ariana Grande as an example. I, I, do a, I dabble in a certain quality not her whole voice, a certain quality of Ariana Grande. And I get laughs when I do it and people appreciate it, but it's not a well-rounded impression and I'm not comfortable yet taking her voice and having her sing something she's never sung. Okay, so like I don't do have a command it? over it. How, what do you practice. practice. That's practice. And are that's you, also- Are you practicing with, the, with her vocal next to you? Are you listening to it at, at the same first, time? At first I listen, and particularly if it's somebody who, I mean, she, she's done quite a lot in her short 
years, but um, particularly a lot of these new artists, they're almost impossible to impersonate because one, they have no canon of music to go back right, to. There's right, like right. one song. And also a lot of this vocalist today, the, they sound so processed and auto-tuned and that is a style, they, even if they don't need, but even if they don't need it, it's the style. Are, but they yeah. are processed. So it's really hard to know what they sound like. So then I go, oh, they watch them live. But if that doesn't sound like what the people are used to hearing on the mm -hmm. radio, mm -hmm. like, then why am I doing it? So right. it also eliminates a lot of people, which wasn't quite your question. But um, yeah, there's, um, um, <laughs> so tomorrow, I don't know when you're airing this, but tomorrow is my very first live stream concert and I'm debuting a few new impressions. One of them, which I'm not going to do right now, you have to look up the no, video that okay. I'm going to release, but one of them is I wanted to do um, Midge Maisel from The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yes. Uh, everybody loves her. Everybody knows that she has a very specific tone, a very specific pattern of speech. So what I've done is I've taken her reciting a famous movie monologue that of course she's never done. I love, I love mixing and matching. Yeah. So I'm, that took a lot of work. I always say it took three seasons to get her impression down. How, how long um, is it when you're working on a new voice before you feel comfortable usually to introduce it into the act? Um, it, I tend to introduce it uh, before I'm comfortable to smaller audiences or t for tester shows. I mm -hmm. do this a lot in the UK because I've, I've done a lot of, I've had a lot of opportunities to play different cities at different times of year in the UK. Like if I happen to be over for one thing, a venue or a producer might say, hey, why don't we just do a concert? So I'll just be myself and a piano, we'll do some classic material and we'll test some new stuff. It's the closest, I mean, I'm not a stand-up comedian, um, but a lot of what I do involves comedy and I need yes. to know timing. I need to write it. And then also an impression in my own apartment or my own hotel room or my own bathroom is very different than an impression in front of people that also <laughs> this right here. Yeah. An impression exactly. in a microphone can sound totally different than an impression without one. Sure. So that's, and how much reverb do I need? Is the reverb that happens to be on that particular mic at that setting at that point in that song, does it diminish what I'm doing? Does it hide? the um, nuance that I'm trying to incorporate with the impression. So that's a great part of it too. I'm a, I'm a pain in the butt for sound people. I treat them like gold because they could be the end of me. So <laughs> because right. it's very, it changes. Sometimes, you know, if I'm talking, when I talk to the audience, the mic is dry. When I'm doing a speaking impression, I like a little bit of wetness on the mic so it's a little heightened and they can hear my nuance. Mm -hmm. When I'm singing as me, there's a bit of reverb. When I'm singing big, loud impressions that are known for these big belting songs, like a Shirley Bassey or something, you or Barbara Streisand, she never records that a ton of reverb. So you have to have different levels ready to go. Sure. Again, you can't test these things on your own. So very often I am terrified, but I'll and I'll do something that's not ready, or I'll say, this is a work in progress, and you're allowed to do that. Big theatrical productions don't do that. They only have a week of previews, but, but stand-up comedians do that all the time, and songwriters say, hey, I'm working out this song. It's not finished yet, but here's what I've got. So that's, that's what I try to do, because that's the only way to really know how it's going to hit in front of a live audience. Well, you, you, well clearly, you can't uh, figure it out just as... There are lots of people that do, quote-unquote, impressions in their bathroom or in their kitchen, right. but they're not going to take it out on a stage and put it in front of an audience. The audience is going to look at you like you're insane. Yeah. Um, you've turned it into a, a, a thing that people recognize as something that's worth uh, time and energy and maybe some money to, to see, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So the other thing that you do that I find fascinating is you are a true, in the term, in the use of the word impressionist, like an impressionist painter, you do things that are suggestive in this most 
interesting and very simple way where you just do certain things with your hands <laughs> yeah. that just suggest a person in the way they are. I know you, you flip the hair for Barbara. Yeah. Um, you, you just have certain characteristics where you use the hands the way that, and it's just suggestive. Yes. Some of them are 90% comedic. You know, because I know the audience is going it sets to. It up. Yeah, I was going to say, but the, the other part of it is it really does help, particularly when you're going through impressions quite quickly mm -hmm. and switching voices rapidly. It does help with, like I said, the physicality. And Barbara Streisand always has her long nails and always has her splayed fingers and touches her hair or her face. Judy Garland famously, you know, clutches her arm and her elbow and then touches her chin. Liza Minnelli famously. Um, uh, not just the big dance moves, but she loves to grab the top of her, like her short hair at the top, like her bangs area. She loves to do that. So like, these are things that you just get from watching them. Yes. Um, so to implement them while I'm doing the impression, of course, only makes it, makes it better. But yeah, and sometimes you exaggerate it, like the, the, the bang push for Streisand with a little bit of the cross eye. That's a forbidden Broadway staple. They sort of did that. But um, Marilyn Michaels did that, the great female impressionist. Oh, Marilyn impressionist. Michaels. Yeah, I see? forgot about her. She did a lot of that. And it, it, it's, again, it, you, sometimes you have to play a little bit to the audience. It might be more heightened. It might be more exaggerated than what the person really does. But again, that's why I keep giving the example of a share. I, I think I do a terrible share impression, okay? Oh, no, Some people don't. love it. I think it's bad because my my actual voice is not as deep as hers. Mm -hmm. So I find it very hard to, if I can approximate her sound down there, I'm still not flexible with it. I'm not comfortable enough to take on the rest of the color, even with her speaking voice. So I tend to leave it alone, only put it in for certain bits. But you better do that physicality. So if I don't, if, again, it's, it's also a safety net. I, I try not to use it as one, but it's like, you better believe that if my impression isn't so great, I'm sure going to like make the face and do the hair gestures yeah. and I'll flip my hair like Cher. Yeah. Because you have to complete the package. <laughs> yes, you do. It, and, but that's what does complete the package. It's not you standing there stiff as a board singing <laughs> with a voice. It's you've got all the, you've got it's just enough move. To, to complete the impression. It's not a full bang, as you say, it's not a full bang imitation. It is an impression, which is exactly yeah, what it is. Um, all right, so um, do you have any special preparations you have before you go on stage? Do you warm up in some way? Do you have anything special you do? I'm so boring. Not really. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit of a control freak with my shows. So if it, I'm always checking everything, making sure everything's said, if I have a prop, if I have cards, if I have, you know, so I'm, I'm very tactile. I have to like go out and make sure everything's set properly. Um, I do warm up. If it's a very big sing of a long show, I don't warm up that much though, because I, I don't want my voice to get too tired. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I've seen too many people, talented, fantastic vocalists, kind of quote unquote blow their wad during a sound check or a rehearsal. So I'm very cautious of that, particularly because I'm singing in so many different styles. But that said, because I'm singing in so many different styles, if I don't warm up at all, it's just asking for trouble. Mm -hmm. So I do some basic warm-ups um, that are a little more, I would say they sound, I do a lot of belting, but my impressions actually use a lot of soprano. I go quite high. Um, well, and I think, range. I think it, oh, it's, I always find that warming up the whole voice, whether it's soprano or belt, um, warming up to a high and higher level than you may have to go and a lower level than you may have to go just means you're stretched and flexible. Mm -hmm. So I'll do a shorter warm up, but definitely a broad range. 
but and not beat yourself up. You're just getting warm no, a little bit. No, I, I I cannot tell you. I did, I would not do it. I just my my shows are big things. I also kind of I've also learned sometimes to work the warm up into my show. Like oh. don't start with your loudest biggest thing first because you have a long way to go and you also want to build your audience. You, you want to build excitement for your audience. So I don't always believe that you have to come out. Although I trust me, I come out and I belt. Just listen to the first track of my album. I definitely come out and belt, but I don't do the biggest number first for many reasons. I like well, to build you, and I think it's safer for the voice too. It's like I have a natural warm-up built into the show. Just like programming the song itself with the different voices, you're programming the whole show. Yeah. So that it has a build to it too. Always. It should. Yeah. It should. I mean, that's what audiences expect that. They expect you to build the the, the show to a climax of some kind. Yeah. yeah. So okay, you've clearly been in more than your share of pressure packed situations where mm-hmm. things are a little screwed up. You've already alluded to a few of them. What's your, do you have a, a tip or a, or a thought about how you handle pressure? <laughs> pressure. Um, I'm fine walking in front of a, a room full of hundreds of people or, or thousands of people. Uh-huh. I'm okay doing that. I but get nervous. Up, right? I get, I get <laughs> nervous when it's smaller groups of people or your peers or your friends. So, um, I don't know. I, I always say if you practice in front of small groups, you're totally going to be fine in front of large groups. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think when you can't true. see their faces and you don't know them personally, it's much easier just to sing out and be in your own world than if you're up close to somebody. And it's that's certain. funny because I, I love cabaret as much as I love singing in front of a symphony orchestra, but you have to practice both. Well, it's, it certainly helps when you have done your homework and you have done the, the, the rehearsal and so on so that you walk out on stage knowing you can do X, Y, or Z. Yeah. If you didn't yeah. have that, you'd probably be a little more um, n- nerved out about things. If they yeah, I agree. Right. All right, agree. so I just want to talk just for a brief moment about acting because mm-hmm. you're clearly a very good actor as well. Um, so I want to talk about Fanny Bryce. Yay! How, how tempted were you? I know you, we, we talked about the, the Theater Marigny, correct? Yes. And how tempted were you to bring Barbara into it? I was not tempted at all. Oh, good. Uh, this is for a few <laughs> reasons. One, everybody immediately thinks of her, right? Of course. Because not only did she star on Broadway, nobody even knows the Broadway cast album. They know the movie. They know the yep. movie soundtrack. That's exactly. what they know. And thankfully, the theater production, the play, script, and music is very different from mm. the movie. Mm-hmm. Very different. So uh, for me, I was like, okay, they're all going to think of Barbara Streisand, so you have to go out of your way to not say those iconic lines like her. I mean, a lot of it, you're going to be compared anyway, because it's the inflection. If I don't say a certain line with that Jewish New York inflection that it was written with, mm-hmm. then you know, you, you'll ruin the joke. But that's different than doing an impression. That's doing something that's what I call period, a period delivery. Well, and you're line. known for doing her. So that's, right. But know. that was the other thing I thought. And then combine that with the fact that I'm known for doing an impression. Mm-hmm. Um, I immediately was like, you have to forget that you ever saw Barbara Streisand do it, which is very, very, very hard to do. But uh, it was made easier with the script immediately because it was a totally different script. And also, there are so many beautiful songs in the musical of Funny Girl that are not in the movie. And I didn't know how Barbara Streisand sang them because like everybody else, like most people, I should say, I grew up listening to the movie soundtrack and right. not the musical soundtrack. Right. So when I went and listened to the musical soundtrack, I was like, oh, okay, cut, cut. I'm not going to listen to that song again. I didn't even want to know the way she did it. So I was able to do some songs very fresh. Well, that's good. Um, but I think, I think once you 
the difference between singing a song in concert and singing it within the context of the show was important here. People sing people. People sing Don't Rain On My Parade. People sing I'm the Greatest Star. They sing these songs all the time, particularly right. Don't Rain On My Parade in concert. Right. I've sung it in concert. There's video of me online singing it years ago in concert. I'm singing it fine, but I'm not singing it with the, with the acting behind it that has come with doing the entire act before it as Fanny Bryce singing it as opposed to Christina singing it. So my Fanny Bryce acting choices, who I decided my Fanny Bryce was, absolutely colored the way that I then sang Don't Rain in My Parade and People and I'm the Greatest Star. So it, by actually playing the part, you know, in its entirety, it was not difficult to make it my own because I, I had no choice. And that, in that respect, Barbara wasn't in the room at all. Well, that's, that, that was because I've seen only the uh, promo for it, the, the commercial. Yeah. Tra- Everybody loves it. And of course, I'm like, oh my God, it's horrendous. You know, but it's not yeah. what I looked like. Also, they filmed it so early and I didn't know they were filming it. I'm like, why are your eyes closed? Open them. What are you doing? But that's how it always works in the business. <laughs> well, you know, I, I get what I get. So yeah. that's, all, that's all I could But I'm certainly right? not like Barbara in those, right? <laughs> right. So I thought, okay, you're not even going, you're not even anywhere in the ballpark of Barbara there. So no. you've clearly made a decision not to go that way. Yeah, and I'm and I'm really and glad. They didn't hire you for it, I assume. They didn't hire you to do an impression of Barbara Streisand doing Funny Girl. No, nobody no, would they, do that. That would be asking for. Well, one, it'd be. I don't know what performer would want to do that. Um, you know, ego wise, it'd be terrible. But also, I think that it does no good to try to replicate something that is iconic. You I can't. agree. So you have I to agree. make. You have to find a way to make it your own. All right. So what do you what What do you find to be the most challenging aspect of creating a character? Because you, you took that and you went, you've had well, this material and you it went was off on easy. Your own. It was actually quite easy for me with Fanny Bryce, but it's difficult with others. It's finding that piece of the character that is like you. Mm. Because if you're playing some crazy person who's polar opposite from you, you still have to find something to relate to. That's sort of acting 101. It's like even the serial killer, what in that character can you relate to? What can you pull from in your own life? True. Um, yeah, for, for me with Fanny Bryce, it was very easy. She's someone who is very talented and very gutsy and just didn't fit in. No one knew what to do with her. Well, I certainly know about that. So <laughs> it worked great for me. <laughs> right, so you've worked with any number of, of directors over time? Uh, uh, yeah, but the I've been lucky to work with a lot of directors and um, particularly doing some straight plays that weren't just musicals, but um, the the greatest experience definitely was working with Stephen Meir on Funny Girl. Um, Stephen Meir is known you, for what being- did you learn, What did you learn from mm-hmm. him? What did you take well, away? I, I, think, I think the great thing about Stephen and what he gave me, as someone who is a performer himself, and also he's known for choreography, so he's a well-rounded musical theater performer. He approached the scene work very much like he was watching from the audience's perspective, as opposed to a lot of directors that really get into the nitty gritty of the the mindset of that one character at that particular moment. We'll talk about that, sure. But then he'll say, great, now where do we just come from? Mm-hmm. And what he was more about the full picture of the whole show. Even the people moving the scenery were doing it in character. So because it wasn't just seen, and let's just dissect this moment. Again, we did that, but then we put it under the umbrella of how it fit the whole production. And sometimes I think as an actor, particularly someone like me who doesn't get the opportunity to do a lot of scene work, you tend to be very internal right. and think about this is my moment to do this. And what about this moment? And you want to make sure it reads. 
but he was great about showing me how everything connected with the, the overarching story. So I, I, I thought that was really important because I think a lot, of, a lot of directors tend to forget about that. But his um, being so well-versed in all aspects of a musical performance, musical production works. Because sometimes I think, I think sometimes directors will give you the scene work leading up to the song, but the way that you then act the song doesn't necessarily correlate to the scene work before it. Right. And with what Stephen did, it was easy to tie all those aspects together and make it a cohesive scene, song, I mean, song, scene, and then part of the show. So are you able to uh, take what you learned from him and bring it into the way that you do your act? Can you take, does it translate in any way? Absolutely. I, I always say that every single bit of information you gain working on a stage informs every other stage that you're on. I think that um, sometimes I, particularly doing my own show, creating my own content, writing it, being the performer on stage, it's very difficult to look at it as an outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't work with a, a, you know, a writing partner. Somebody doesn't travel with me and direct my concerts. You, you, so you sometimes yourself. I take a step back. Yeah. You so I have yourself. to take a step back and think, yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, now that you've done the nitty gritty stuff, take a step back, look at it as if it, you weren't you and look at the big picture. Um, and it, it certainly does. It certainly does help. Yeah. And so everything that I, I got from Stephen will certainly be applied to my shows, whether I'm doing an impression of Bette Midler, you know, singing theme song to the Golden Girls, or whether I'm emoting singing a beautiful, beautiful Candorina ballad from, you know, in my own voice. There has to be a way to tie it all together. And I, I've Midler. done that, but it can only help. Yeah. The of the Thank you for being a friend. <laughs> Works great. I've not seen that one. That's hilarious. That's been done live. Maybe I'll film it soon for you. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I've been just mesmerized here for the last hour or so. I've been talking to the divine Christina Bianco. Um, we're going to sort of wind this down. I'm just curious in all of your experiences out there, uh, especially in the world of show, the biz of show, as they say, um, do you have a story that's either quirky, weird, offbeat, uh, strange, or just plain funny that you can share? I have so many, but one of my well, favorite share, stories. Give us more than one. Yeah, okay. One of my favorite stories was when I was in Newsical in New York, a show that spoofs the news and pop culture, but with music. So Saturday Night Live with music, put it that way. And uh, because it's fast and furious and the content changes quickly, you know, the, 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 the wigs and the costumes sometimes are, you know, a little bit rushed. And so I had a, a character that was supposed to be coming out singing something absolutely ridiculous, but under the guise of, oh, it's all perfect, like a little Disney princess. The world is falling apart. Isn't that great? Something to that effect. And I was supposed to be brushing my hair and I had this wig on and that wig had not been properly handled, taken care of or brushed before I hit that stage. So I put my brush in my hair, brushing it while I was singing on the wig and the brush got so spectacularly stuck in that wig that I could not get it out. So at first I was singing and I was like, ha, ha, oh, oh, it's stuck. And there's luckily a live accompanist who at one point paused because I saw I was trying to get it out. And I was like, well, I like it that way. And I had to, I had to sing the entirety of the song, spinning around the stage doing the rest of my blocking and choreography with a brush sticking out of my wig. 
And the audience definitely was not listening to anything I was saying. They were cracked. It was like, I couldn't run off stage. There, there was no way that they were going to fix it quickly. So I just had to go with the flow. So that was, that's a pretty funny story. Pretty did embarrassing. They, did the audience think it was, that was purposeful? No, they absolutely no. knew it was stuck in my hair. No. <laughs> there was no way around it. I couldn't make it like it was honest. It was too spectacular. Also, because I was like, you know, really shocked. Uh, another ridiculous story. Um, I was playing Dora in Dora the Explorer Live, the national tour. We played like Radio City Music Hall and these big, gorgeous sets. It look, feels like, you know, you know, Nickelodeon come to life. Everything's so big and beautiful. And uh, Boots the Monkey in this, I mean, I cannot tell you how many thousands of dollars this costume was. Made for a male actor who could tumble and do amazing things. Uh, it's crazy, like Lycra, I don't know, but he had this big tail. And the tail was attached in a way where it could bounce and move so it looked real. Very expensive. <laughs> Boots the Monkey is going down this slide. And the slide is in a tunnel. And I'm up at the top of this, you know, mountain ready for him to go down this slide. And down goes Boots. But up, stuck in a piece of the set at the top of the mountain, remained his tail. So now I'm thinking all these kids think Boots' tail has been cut off. Um, and there was a lot of like, oh my goodness, are you okay? <laughs> you know, wow, that doesn't hurt. That's lucky. Okay, do you want me to bring your tail? Oh, we'll leave it up here for now. Like, you know, we had to just add lit. And then we were crying, laughing. And then I get down, I, I just lie down the slide myself. And then I realize that what's left out of Boots' tail from his costume is nothing but a completely sharp piece of like wire like oh. metal you know was holding it together so then it was like i had to find a way to get him off stage because he couldn't see behind him to know oh. i was like why don't you go over there and i'll tell the odd i'll tell our boys and girls what to do next like oh it was the most crazy ad-libbing watching a boots <laughs> with his tail ripped off with a spear sticking out of him <laughs> uh, in this gorgeous show where like you can't say anything wrong for Nickelodeon or like they have to say everything right exactly to book and it's all done to a track so it's like it has to be precise but oh. it all went to hell that day <laughs> oh. so so all of the all of the songs and everything are are on a track there's yeah no, I had to no I had to catch up I had to like skip over basically oh. if Dora had to go like first go to the forest then go to the the mountain in the city of lost toys Dora definitely it was a, it was a murky gray area between how she got one place <laughs> to the other that particular show <laughs> all right so last question um, do you have a solid piece of advice or a tip for those who are trying to break into the business or maybe they're in a little bit and trying to get mm -hmm. to the next level it, again, it sounds cliche, but from absolute experience, I can tell you, say yes. Get in the room. Mm. Get in a room. If it's not a part you want, too bad. Get the experience of being in that show. If you have a chance to do something else in, in a room, to uh, read for auditions, to help even just for two days when they know they need an assistant, uh, to the assistant of the stage manager, get in a room and watch the work. You will be watching, if it's a musical, you'll be watching singers, the, the accompanist. Sometimes there's a music director conducting and giving notes while a rehearsal accompanist plays. There are so many opportunities to watch how various people in the arts work. Mm -hmm. And you don't get it from classes. You don't get it from, from college. You don't get it from watching movies and listening to cast albums. You get certain things from that. Right. But the only way you're really going to know how the business works and contribute in a room is by being in that room. I know a lot of people that say, oh, I don't want that job. 
like, oh, it doesn't pay as well. well are, are you doing anything else? Take it. Like yeah. go, go to the audition, have the experience. And the other part of that, again, it said, it's said all the time that when you're in that room, you better be a lovely human being to everybody mm-hmm. because you, particularly the way things happen in this world, in this day and age, um, when, when work can come and go so very quickly, oh, the boy. person who is, you know, like I said, putting the tape on, taping the stage outline and the, the you know, the set, this set piece goes here. Here's this purple piece of tape. The person that's putting that tape down might be the lead stage manager for the next show you're doing. Yeah, so you sure. better be lovely to everybody. Again, there's always, always something to be gained from being in the room and having experience. Uh, uh, those, those are two gigantically wonderful pieces of advice. I always tell my students, when you go for a meeting anywhere, you be nice to the guard at the gate. You'd be nice to the person who greets you. You'd be That's nice it. to everybody. And there are, you don't know. Yeah. And there are stories of people who are jerks that work consistently, but you want to know what? I know they're a jerk. And I wouldn't go out of my way to work with them. And that's what you got to remember. Most, it doesn't, you can still survive and there are still, you can still be successful if you're not a nice person. Yeah. But there are a lot of people, more people than not, who will not work with you if they know that you're trouble. I, so I, always I, be think, I think most real jerks don't, don't last long, no matter mm-hmm. what their talents are, although there are exceptions to the rule, obviously. But I think most people who are jerkish, um, and are sort of self-centered and arrogant, they have a tendency not to last all that long. Yeah. Because people or that's their, or that's their legacy and nobody or, wants that either. Exactly. At least I'm, it's not what I'm after. No, no, clearly not. <laughs> I'm not but, after the fame and fortune at the ex- well, in general, but I'm not after fame and fortune, but certainly not at the expense of being known as a complete idiot. So no. Well, uh, Christina Bianca, this has been a, just a real joy for me. Um, uh, thank I, you so much. So delighted to have had you on the show. And, and um, I, you know, I, I think that we're we're going to see much, much more out of you. <laughs> I hope so. I'm forced to be more creative uh, during this lockdown period. Aren't we all? <laughs> forced with the arts uh, coming back very, very slowly. So I will be forced, as I like to say, but, but happily forced to try lots of new things and new impressions and new multimedia forms of entertaining. So keep, keep your eyes and ears peeled. Well, one thing's for sure. I hope someday I get a chance to see you live in performance and doing your, your thing in front of a bunch of people. You will soon, soon. We will make it happen. Uh, cool. Thank you so much for doing the show. Aw, thank you for having me. And so we've come to the end of today's Story Beat. If you like this podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating or review on whatever app or platform you're listening to. Your support helps us bring more great Story Beat episodes to you. Until next time, I'm Steve Cuden, and may all your stories be unforgettable.